What's going on? It's Joel, and you're listening to the My Age Podcast. Uh, the My Age Podcast is a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life, using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are. Uh, this is episode five. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's really appreciated. Today's episode is a cracker. Um, it's with a really, really good friend of mine named Nate Lewitt, um, who does one of my favourite podcasts going at the moment called the High Fives Podcast. If you're if you've heard episode one, you would have heard Mike, uh, who is also a host of the uh, the uh, High Fives Podcast, Canadian duo, powerhouse Canadian duo. Um, they're killing it. They're up to episode. I think they just did twenty six. Maybe 25, I'm sure they'll correct me in some way, shape or form. Uh, which is fantastic effort, because these things, as I've mentioned last week, they're kind of hard to get together, and um, they actually take a lot of time, and how people do them on a weekly basis, I'll never know. Or multiple times a week, I'll never know. I guess it's why they're professionals. I'm just another bare bum in the shower. Um again really appreciate you listening uh hope you enjoy it and we'll speak to you at the end of this okay cheers hey what's going on it's uh episode insert don't know what one it is because we're just recording it now obviously but uh i've got one of my i'd say a pretty long long-term friend one of my most international friends, um, I met Nate. I've got a, st- well, there's a story behind meeting Nate and maybe we'll get to it and maybe we won't. Um, I actually told this story just the other day too. You did, did you? <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous it's, now that I think back to it like years and years later. Oh, if if I was my parents 17, well, how long ago did we meet? It's well, Before we go on, before we get in the story, Nate Lewitt. <laughs> From Alberta, Canada, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Hey, Gowan. Um, hey, Gowan. <laughs> Best uh, Australian accent in Calgary. Would you agree? Uh, you know, I uh, for Canadians, yeah. We there, there are uh, a fair amount of Australians that frequent Calgary because we're so close to Banff and uh, and Alberta's Australia, which is Canmore. Where you sorry, hear, say it all again. Uh, you oh, hear. In in Canmore, you hear more Australian accents than you would a Canadian accent. Right. Okay. So, so I I may have like one of the best of of the Canadians, but not certainly not of the Australians visiting Canada. No, that's yeah, that's fair enough. So if the of the of the people born above the forty ninth parallel, you've got one of the best. <laughs> uh, sure, I'll, I'll take that. Sure. Take that. Take it. Take it and run with it. Use it on your next business card. Okay, that's a smart move, smart move. It is, it is. So Nate Lewitt, um, one of the hosts of, I've said it before, I'll say it again, my favorite podcast, the High Fives podcast. You're too kind. Uh, we, no, it's, it's maybe I'm too kind, but it is definitely the truth. Like, you know how much I freak out on the uh, WhatsApp group chat whenever a new episode comes up. I'm like a kid at a... Kid at Christmas, twelve times. Well, ten times a month because oh, 10, 10, 11. How many episodes have you done now? What are we up to? You said you're uh, recording one I tomorrow. Think, yeah, we're recording tomorrow. I think tomorrow is twenty three. Unreal. So twenty three. And they're in all f- two uh, two years, I think now. And they're all fantastic. 
I'll put a little asterisk next to that saying there was an episode that I didn't listen to. Yes. Uh, which was the Canadian episode, the Calgary episode. Calgary which, episode, yeah. Yeah. I you should, don't know what. You should check it out because you, you, might, you might find some things in there. Yeah, that's, and that's what it's there for. That's exactly what it's there for. Yeah. So we'll start off, I guess, just head first into it. Nate Lewitt, um, who are your parents and what did they do? What do they do? What did they do when you were born? Uh, geez, I think... Set the scene. <laughs> well, it was a uh, warm summer eve. Uh, I call June that... June 7th. Uh, warm as in like 13 degrees, 14 degrees, yeah? <laughs> well, that's summer here, right? So, yeah, yeah you yeah. know, maybe, maybe 16, 17. Um, yep. I, you know, I don't know what my parents did when I was born, but like what I remember like my parents doing, you know, when I was growing up, my dad was a somewhat of a traveling salesman. Um, I couldn't tell you what he sold. I think it was like, you know, mixers and, and pumps and things like for mining and grain and stuff like that. So he was, he was on the road quite a bit. Um, and my mom worked for the government for the longest time, uh, for the federal government, but like in HR, like nothing exciting, like uh, the Secret Service or anything like that. Yep, that's fair enough. Yeah, so... Um, so were they, uh, where were they in Calgary when you were born, or did you move there, or? Yeah, so we, uh, I was actually born in a place called Regina, which gets a lot of heat for obvious reasons. That's in uh, Saskatchewan, uh, and then we moved to Winnipeg actually, uh, not long after I was born, and we lived there for quite some time. Uh, Winnipeg is where uh, Propagandy is from, and the Weaker Thans are from. The Weaker Thans, um, yep. And uh, it's got a pretty cool, you know, I didn't really get to experience it because we moved out of Winnipeg when I was eight. Um, but it's got like a pretty cool uh, arts vibe there now uh, in, in Winnipeg. And so anyways, then we moved to Calgary when I was like eight or nine. So like grade four. And uh, yeah, we've lived here ever since. Cool. Were your parents musically inclined or was it like... Was it always on or was there not much happening or? Yeah. So like my mom went through like the Royal Conservatory um, of music um, with piano. And uh, so she graduated with, you know, like it, it works kind of like school, like you do grade one through 12. And then you can kind of get degrees in your piano playing after that. And I think she got, I don't know how much further than grade 12, but she was a pretty accomplished piano player. Um, by the end, like never played professionally or any, you know, in front of a crowd or anything, just something that she enjoyed doing. And my dad, um, played guitar ever since I was little. And so he always played like a 12 string guitar and, uh, I was always bugging him to, to teach me how to play, but he never did. Uh, he, <laughs> which, you know, like looking back, I think kind of fair enough because, you know, I have a, I have a son now and, uh, you know, things like that, that take a crazy amount of patience. Uh, it's hard to teach your kids those things. So, um, so yeah, like they were both musical. I don't think I recall a time where they ever played together, but like my dad would play in like church choirs and stuff like that. And I don't think he ever played in a band or anything, but, uh, you know, I remember him playing like, you know, John Denver tunes and the Eagles and stuff like that. It's it's always surprised like the thought of someone playing piano and yeah. being that into it, but then doing nothing with it. Not not and sorry, not to say she did nothing with it, but not like not make it part of an 
some like income or creative outlet or whatever it just blows my mind yeah yeah i think uh you know i i don't know i i think i don't know why she never did it like i don't know if she just never like found the encouragement behind it or you know um I never knew her to write anything. Same with my dad. Like I never knew either of them to like write music. I just knew them yeah. to like, you know, play it. Like, um, so yeah, I, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe I think like that generation of parents, they were having kids a lot earlier. So, you yeah, know, like it was so. like graduate high school, get married, have some kids, have a career and like, you know, move on. Right. So I don't think yeah. like those opportunities for people to kind of go, down those roads were really accessible in that age yeah i I wholeheartedly agree so musically um are they playing much at home or is it more car stereo or radio sorry i should say or like were they proactive with music around the house yeah i mean i don't really remember a time where we listened to a lot of music in the house um the times that i remember listening to music the most would be in the car which was mostly radio but like when we'd hit the road and go on road trips because i think we'd do that like at least once a summer if not twice and that's kind of where i really started to hear a lot of music was was uh on those on those road trips where it was just kind of like non-stop and you know, they must have played some stuff in the house because I remember them having a record player and quite a few records, but, you know, I don't have a real, real strong recollection of it. Music was definitely like a part of the house. Um, yeah. But, you know, like my fondest memories kind of come from those road trips. Yeah, absolutely. No, that completely makes sense. I'm sure it's not a an uncommon tale. So I guess head first into it. What was your, what's your first song? Yeah, so um, this was the, uh, uh, you may have to refresh my name about the title of this section, but the, uh, something to do with uh, parents, right? And parents, the, the influence, absolutely. right? So uh, one of those, like the things that we used to listen to on those road trips all the time were like uh, Tracy Chapman. Uh, I first heard her okay. there. Um, my mom was like a huge fan of the Beatles, um, but like that's a group that I never really heard her play, which was kind of strange. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel were big. And then this other thing was huge. I don't know if you guys had this in Australia. You guys have, do you guys have shell gas stations in Australia? Yep. Okay. So, uh, do you remember like, uh, you know, I would have been a young kid, but shell, the gas station had these things called the solid gold collection. And it was like 24 volumes, um, like on cassette of just like, oldies you know everything from like the california raisins to like um chantilly lace to like it was just everything and anything jammed onto these these uh these compilations i guess and uh you know you go to the gas station fill up it was like you know your your mcdonald happy meal sort of uh, toy but this was at the gas station for adults and I remember my parents like religiously collecting those over the years and uh, that was something we listened to a lot and I think on one of those tapes something that popped up was uh, what I recall as being the first super group and like trying to recollect back on that time I don't I can't think of like another super group from that time. So I'm going to, I'm going to be bold and say this was the first one. Uh, and it was a CD that, or a, a cassette that they later bought that we listened to a lot of. And it was the, uh, the traveling Wilburys. Traveling Wilburys. Absolutely. And I, I feel like they might've put two albums out, but this, 
the only one I remember was, you know, I, I don't know the name of it, but was, uh, was a, kind of this picture of all of them on the front. And uh, anyways, the song that I chose was uh, End of the Line by the Traveling Wilburys. I have a feeling they only did one album. I could be... No, actually, no. They had two albums. Yeah, I think um, I think there was two, but, but I only recall like I only recall anything from from the one. Yeah, the first one was the big one. I don't think the second one kind of had the traction. Although no. I'm wrong. From memory, they had there was a joke behind the name. Oh, that's right. It's come to me now. The second album was called Volume Three. The first album was called Volume One. Okay. And the second album's called Volume Three. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dad humor, <laughs> dad jokes. Yeah, very much dad humor. But you no, know, I, I I completely agree. It would have to be, oh, the the biggest super group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you know, like I didn't know at the time who was in that group, right? But you know, like yeah. looking back retrospectively, you know, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, George Harrison, and Roy Orbison. I mean, Roy Orbison, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it's a big in. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. And so, end of the line. End of the line's the track. That's the one yep. that stuck out the most for me. Cool. All good. Let's listen to it.
End of the line by Travelin Wilburys. Just a, a great jam. Like if you're not if you're not singing along to that, then there's something wrong with you. Would you agree? <laughs> I would totally agree. I mean, it's it's something that I recently bought. Like again, within the last couple of years, and yep. uh, I mean, it just instantly takes you back to that that time. You know, being being a little kid sitting in the back seat on your you know eight hour nine hour road trip. Yep. No, that's fantastic. Um, what else? Like what else were all those tapes that kind of stood out? Oh, man. Uh, you know, like, I I don't know if they were on the cassettes or not, but, like, I feel like Billy Ocean or might have been that on time. there. Or around that time, yeah. Okay, Billy um, Ocean. <laughs> yeah, I remember, yeah. you know, the Get Out of My Dreams and Into, my, into car my Car jam yeah. going on a lot. Uh, George Harrison was a big one. I don't know if he put out many solo records. The one I remember was I'm Brutal with remembering names as if you listen to the podcast you'd uh, you'd know but uh, the one where he's you know got that shit-eating grin on the cover and uh and the aviator sunglasses and it had uh uh what's that song uh it got my mindset on you yes that's it that's the song I is it, i don't know if it's called that but yeah it's a yeah. cracking song yeah yeah i remember that that was that song not to talk about me at all but i'll just quickly <laughs> lay this in there um that was the first song when i remember like, oh, it would have been 1988 I yeah think it came out yeah and i remember that song i remember watching that film clip going this is fucking fantastic I had no idea that because love the beatles because that's what I, you had to do when you're a kid yeah but um had no idea that george harrison this guy make with this fantastic film clip where all these taxidermied animals and shit come to life. But yeah, that was, that was the first film clip where I remember actually watching it going, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and I always thought George was kind of the unsung Beatle, you know, like out of, yeah. out of all of them, you know, he was just kind of, I don't know. I, I, the others always uh, seem to leave an impression with people. Like when you, when you ask people who their favorite Beatle was, you rarely hear the name George, right? So you rarely hear he rarely hear Ringo. See, but I think like I don't know. I think like in the musician world, like did you see that thing that they put out there uh, with all those like drummers? You know, like Chad Smith and Dave Grohl all talking about Ringo. That was a great Ringo. video. So yeah, yeah, good, that right? Was a fantastic video. And you know, I didn't realize that he had kind of. Uh, change the face of drumming at that time but i mean it makes sense right because that entire band was they were such innovators right yeah yeah very much so Uh, another band that my parents uh really kind of had playing a lot of the time and this kind of was what led me to the the next uh stage or the next chapter in the uh the podcast being the musical moment uh was the beach boys okay beach boys that was like that was a band that I really like started to get into and, you know, be aware of and, uh, you know, them being kind of a recurring character on full house, uh, probably helped that along too. Uh, yeah, having of, uh, Uncle Jesse. reference. Yeah. Uncle Jesse, who for whatever reason was like beach boys, super fan. And then all of a sudden yeah. he's friends with them, which didn't seem to make then, a lot of sense to me. Then started drumming with them. Yeah, that's right. And you will not believe this, but the first concert that I ever went to, I was in grade four. We had just moved to Calgary that year. And uh, it might have been just at the end of grade four. Anyways, it was, you know, I was eight or nine years old. And for my birthday that year, my parents bought me tickets to go see the Beach Boys at um, Canada Olympic Park, which is where the Olympics were held in, in 1988. 
And yeah. on the drums was John Stamos. Epic. <laughs> Just epic. Did you realize it at the time? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was watching Full yeah. House at the time. So it was, uh, it, was, it was surreal, right? Like, I mean, to be that young. Yeah, absolutely. And see, you know, like this pop culture icon who, you know, you didn't see as an actor. You saw him as Uncle Jesse was yeah, like, Jesse, yeah. it was crossing worlds, man. It was, it was yeah. as the Ghostbusters say, crossing the streams. Crossing the streams even, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. So well, I'm going to hazard a guess because we've had many conversations about the band Sublime. Yes. That have a real surf culture about them. Yes. Was, what was it that got you into the Beach Boys? Because it obviously wasn't the surf culture. You know, I think it was just like the really strong melodies and um, the way that they they sang with one another, right? Like, and yeah. I think it informs the way I listen to music now a lot in the way that like I'm a sucker for like a really great hook. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, I just, I love it when you can have like a bunch of voices singing all different melodies and just coming together and that creating like a really solid piece of music, you know, even without instruments, you know, like yeah. Billy Joel did a lot of that too. Right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, an artist that I came to like more and more down the road too. So I yep. think, yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't the surf culture, um, which is funny cause, uh, I watched a movie recently called, uh, uh, love and mercy, which is the Brian Wilson story. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I haven't, but I want to. It's really good. And they've got Paul Dano, who I really like playing a young Brian Wilson and John Cusack playing an old Brian Wilson. That's, and, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay, you keep going. And I'm not like, I kind of like become less and less of a John Cusack fan as the years have gone on because he just kind of plays that same guy, right? Like it's, yeah. it's John Cusack just playing John Cusack, right? Playing melancholy, melancholy yeah. guy. Yeah. And he does that in this role too, but he does it in a way like, like I've seen, you know, videos of Brian Wilson. I've never seen him live, but other than that one time, I suppose, um, whether he was on tour with them though, I don't know. Um, but you know, like he plays this really like earnest kind of sincere character. It's a great, great movie. And they actually take you through a lot of the recording of pet sounds, um, which, right, you know, okay. now is acclaimed as, you know, one of the greatest records of all time. Yeah. And inspired Sergeant Peppers. Yes, exactly. And they talk a lot about the Beatles and how, you know, Brian, when he was writing, he was just like always trying to kind of like one up them, you know, like you guys oh, are doing this yeah. and I'm going to do this and you guys are doing that and I'm going to do this. And, you know, I mean, he's a really interesting guy. Um, so yeah. And I recently actually, you know, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of the songs from Pet Sounds, but I haven't owned that album ever. So it was an yep. album that I picked up recently and it's, it's such a phenomenal record, like for that time and, and still stands up. It's, it's, it's timeless. Absolutely timeless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, getting a tad off topic. Did you ever hear, did you ever read into Dennis Wilson, the drummer? Yeah. So, um, like I don't, I, I know he was part of the, the Manson crew, um, for yeah. a time. And then, uh, I've watched that bit, show, yeah. uh, Aquarius. I don't know if you've watched that show. On, oh yeah. With, um, David Duchovny. Yeah. Yeah. And they do a lot about Dennis Wilson, you know, being involved with Charlie Manson at that time too. So, yep. 
Yeah, I don't like. I think Dennis kind of got out before Charlie started to go crazy and start killing people, or at least yeah. killing pe- people that was noticed, you know, and yeah. kind of creating this this cult. I think Dennis got out around them, but I don't. I don't know. It's interesting though. Um, it's an interesting kind of thing. Yeah, my brother recently went to California and visited some of those spots that some of those famous Manson pictures were taken at. And, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. he just said, it's, you know, it's a weird tone. It's a weird place to be, you know, to look at this black and white picture on your phone and be right there. You and know? S- and so, yeah, I was, oh, there was a podcast. It would have been like a 10 part 10. I might edit this bit out, but if I don't, then it'll stay in there. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. There's a 10 part podcast. Well, there's a 10 part series on a podcast called, uh, fuck. What's it called? It'll come to me in a minute. Um, but it's really fascinating um, where they break down Manson, uh, Charles Manson's life. Um, okay. It's called you must. It's called you must remember this, and they did a ten-part piece on Charles Manson, and, and they did one of the episodes was about Dennis Wilson. Oh wow! And his his story towards the end is fucking heartbreaking. Like, is that it's right? Fucking heartbreaking. Um, yeah, but I, then so after listening to that, I started reading about Manson stuff because that's I guess. If you, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, if you like, if you zoom out, it's very interesting. Um, and fuck, what's his name? Trent Reznor bought the house that, um, what's like the Tate House? Sorry, the Tate House. Yeah, bought Sharon Tate's house. Oh wow, that she was killed, or that whether it was her house, the house that she was killed in. Right. He bought it and set up a studio in there. Um, and then. Sharon Tate's daughter or someone related to Sharon Tate somehow got in contact with him and said you're exploiting you're exploiting the memory of yeah my mum and what happened and that's fucked up and so he eventually sold the house and I think they demolished it because they were just like this has just got bad juju written all over it oh yeah I mean there's certain so. things that just have to go right yeah yep knock it down start again <laughs> exactly yeah. So, I take you picked a Beach Boys song. I did, yeah. And the song that I picked um, is a song that like just still brings a smile to my face anytime it comes on. And uh, it's I Get Around. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around. Round, round, I get around. I get around. Cause it wouldn't be right to leave your best girl home. 
around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around. Nate Lewitt, I Get Around by the Beach Boys. Um, that was his first kind of real introduction to music that was, you know, that was groundbreaking, I guess. What else was kind of going on musically when you were around that kind of age? Um, you when know, you went and saw Uncle Jesse play drums. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, I can't really remember a lot more music. Like, that was just like the one thing that was kind of around. And then, you know, it was just kind of like top 40 stuff, you know, radio stuff that my parents would pick up after that until probably, you know, like, I don't know, maybe grade six. And then, you know, I started listening to things like, um, you know, like the top 40 garbage, like crisscross came out and, you know, uh, Metallica, not that Metallica was like, you know, top 40 garbage, but you know, when the black album came out, it was a, Everyone had that album, right? You know, oh, it was a- fucking massive. Yeah, Appetite for Destruction, you know, Guns N' Roses, you know, uh, yep. that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I- I'd say it just kind of turned into a big buffet, you know, after that. Yeah. Like, uh, it was kind of a couple years of just kind of holding on to the Beach Boys as being my one band. And then, you know, as I started to discover music in like late elementary, kind of early junior high, then, you know, I started to branch out and listen to, listen to my own thing. So, and how was that, how was that happening? Like, I mean, was there, was, uh, I know, well, was uh, there an older, I know you don't have an older brother, but was there like a, a friend's older brother or cousins or how are you, how are you expanding it? What were you, doing to expand your horizons yeah i think i think like uh like at the end of elementary or whatever you know you're just kind of like influenced by the people around you by the friends you make and you know when you don't have that older sibling um it's maybe somebody else has an older sibling um or you know you're just influenced by the radio and you know by that time like you know, the, the music videos were on TV too. Right. So, you know, you were seeing that stuff pop up and, you know, we had a big radio station here called AM 106 that would do like top 10 at 10 and top six at six and, and things like that. So that's kind of what informed that music then. And then I'd say by the time I hit like grade seven, like, so that's, you know, first year of junior high, um, I started to, you know, make some new friends and, uh, and uh, that's when I started to listen to more alternative music. Um, and uh, that's when I started to get into like Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and uh, like that grunge sort of sound. And uh, then, yeah, I would say kind of like halfway through that first year or maybe maybe early grade eight. So I guess we're like 13, 14. Uh, you know, we had like that dazed and confused moment where, you know, like the guys in that movie are like, you know, how do we, how do we find, how do we become like, you know, stand out or pick up girls or, you know, whatever. Right. And, and they, they decide to play football and we kind of decided to start a band and it was like, who, what are you going to play? Well, I'll play 
drums and what are you going to play? Well, I want to play guitar. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess that leaves bass to me. And, you know, we just started like covering songs that we were listening to. And then I'd say within a year we started writing our own stuff. And then, so that started to inform music at that point, you know, is you're, you're just like, you're listening to everything and anything and, you know, collaborating between, you know, a tight knit group of guys, um, you know, for that, that early initial, you know, kind of playing together. So you always started playing bass? The first, uh, well, I played piano like as well, a kid, um, yeah. you know, taking lessons and stuff like that. But yeah, the first, I guess, and then I played in the school band and I played a different instrument, but uh, I played, yeah, bass within the band. That was, that was the first thing I picked up. Yeah, it wasn't like because it was easier or perceived to be easier. It was just kind of like, you know, uh, just a product of elimination. Yeah, yeah, just necessity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there were far less bass players out there than there were guitar players. So, so Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, all around that kind of Siamese Dream and Verses and Ten and Nevermind and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That all of, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and I would say, you know, that was kind of like a couple years. Um, and then, you know, that's when we kind of found punk was you know, uh, kind of like late junior high, early high school. And then that's where, you know, it, everything changed. Like where I kind of shunned alternative and, and grunge music for a period of time. And, uh, you know, just like totally delved into the, uh, you know, very music snob punk rocker. So is your song, actually, no, tell us what your song is. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, no, in that's my okay. No, that's fine. Um, so the, the next little segment here is the rebellion, uh, segment, the, uh, the stuff your yep. parents hated you listening parents to. Didn't like. And yep. you know, like, it was funny, like with the, the, the grunge kind of stuff or the alternative music that I was listening to, like my parents didn't really bat an eye, didn't say anything. I don't know that they were that interested, but I do remember yep. like my mom kind of like being empathetic towards me when Kurt Cobain died. Like, well, you know, I wasn't one of those people that like took it really hard and locked themselves in a room for a week. But, yeah. you know, I still remember where I was when I heard the news and like, yeah, so you know, I, I yeah. felt really up, you know, I felt upset about it. And so, you know, I think it was kind of cool that, you know, like looking back on it, that my mom actually had some empathy around that for me. Um, yeah. So it wasn't that music that really bothered them. I had a brief kind of uh, interest in uh, hip hop. Well, I wouldn't say hip hop. I would say gangsta rap, uh, you, you know, and that was kind of in that early junior high days where, uh, and yeah, so, uh, I would say, you know, the, the bands that, you know, were, were listened to at that time was like, you know, NWA, uh, naughty by nature, you know, 1993 was out at that time. Uh, Snoop Dogg, doggy style. Uh, and, uh, the the song that I picked, um, well, the reason I picked this song was because I have this vivid memory of uh, my brother and I having an argument, and he knew I had some of these like tapes with, you know, the parental advisories on them, and and it was always like this big threat, like I'm gonna tell mom. Like, so you so Nick's how old? So how, Nick's, how much younger than you? Sorry, how many years younger? He's five years younger than me. Okay, well, okay. So I'm probably like, you know, 12 at this time, and he's probably like 
he's the bratty little brother. He is, yeah, yeah, very much so. So, you know, where um, <clears throat> anytime it would like get to a heated argument, he'd be like, "Don't fuck with me because I got this." Like, he I had will, that ace up his sleeve. I will make this happen. And <laughs> sure enough, one day, like I can still remember it, he had already like snuck out my little tape case. Like he was ready to go. You know, he was ready for this <laughs> fight kind of thing. And he yeah, had the this bullet stash. in the chamber. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like, you know, I knew it was going to happen and I could hide the tape case. No, he already had it stashed. He was, he, he had a plan. So we get in this argument and he's like, that's it. You're done. And I'm just like, whatever, fuck it. I don't care at this point. And he takes my tape case upstairs. And I think the first one that my mom saw was uh, Onyx. Uh, with the album title "Back the Fuck Up," and uh, <laughs> and uh, I think like one of the first five tracks on it was called "Black Vagina Finda," and uh, I remember my mom like coming down and being like, "What is this?" And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Is this how you're learning about sex?" And I was just like, oh, man, this is this has turned way worse than I ever thought this could have been. <laughs> <That's> so, <good. laughs> so the song oh, I picked was like so <laughs> the song I picked was the big hit from that album, which was Slam. Before we listen to it, yeah. um, what was the do you remember, you know, not to harp too much on punk rock because it's not specifically about punk rock, but. Do you remember what it was that made, what album or what song or what artist it was that made you go like completely focus shift onto punk rock? Yeah. Away uh, from grunge um, and alternative? Yeah. I mean, or I like, can still remember, quite alternative. I can still remember going to, like, I think it was Future Shop and, you know, I'd recently gotten a CD player. So I was like ready to buy some CDs and, uh, my friend Justin, who is the drummer in our band, uh, he uh, and I kind of looked—I looked to him for you know music influence a lot in those in that early time because um, he had this friend that was like a year or two older than us, and yep. you know she listened to a lot of cool music. And I remember he had—I think he had like a Punk and Drublik, um poster on his wall, and uh, okay. so. So I remember going to, I think it was like Future Shop. Like it was one of those, you know, shitty, like, uh, you know, uh, big box store kind of places. And I found No Effects, Punk and Drublik. And I found, you know, I'd heard the name The Ramones, um, but I didn't know, you know, any of their albums. And I think yeah. the one that had just come out at the time was Adios Amigos, uh, which is not a great record, but I bought that <laughs> one too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so those were like the two was Punk and Drublik and, uh, and the Ramones, Adios Amigos. And I mean, I just, I instantly fell in love with, with that music. It was just, it, it, to me, it just felt like it just leveled everything up. You know, it just, it leveled up that kind of angst and emotion that you heard in like that alternative, uh, you know, music, um, and uh, it just, it leveled it up. It just, it made it stronger and it was more aggressive and it was just, it seemed more relevant too, you know, like you didn't yeah. have to search for meaning within the songs. They were right fucking there. And I'd almost say it's more like, yeah, maybe it's just me kind of casting my, my two cents into it, but it's almost like it's a bit more relatable, would you say? Yeah, I would absolutely say more relatable. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. Then, okay, so let's listen to Slam by Onyx. This is going to be fucking fantastic. <laughs> Back the fuck wait. up, Joel. Back, Back the, the fuck, fuck up. up. <laughs> That was so fucking enjoyable. That was uh, Onyx with Slam. So that was great. Like I'm, I'm still taking a minute to soak that all in. Um, 
So then after you get grounded, I'm sh- did you get grounded? Or did you just have a stern talking to her about oh, fuck. Like, like vagina like, and stuff? I can't remember what happened after that. Like, I think my mom took, you know, all my tapes away at that point, And I may or may not have gotten them back. But, like, I just remember being so mortified that my mom was like, like, this was her opening to talking about sex and stuff. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, I did not <laughs> see that coming. Um, so I think that was like, that was the most memorable part of the punishment that was probably unintended on her part. Oh, absolutely. No one see that one. Coming. Yeah. <laughs> That's unreal. Um, so you said your, your gangster rap, um, stint was rather short. Yeah, it was short. Like it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it didn't last long. And then, you know, once I kind of got into punk rock, then it was absolutely, you know, out the door. Like, you can't yep. do that. You can't listen to punk rock and hip hop or rap or you can't listen to anything but punk rock, right? That was kind of like yeah. the feeling of the time. So it went yeah. away for a very, very long time. And then I'd say, I don't know, maybe in like my mid-20s or so, I started to kind of like invite that style of music back. Um, but yep. You know, I listened to, um, you know, I listened to like Tribe Called Quest and, uh, you know, got into bands like that and like Jurassic 5. And, uh, you know, recently after watching The Get Down, I don't know if you watched that show, which is phenomenal. And uh, that's opened me up. So you really liked it? Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely love that show. It was a it was a bit too theatrical for me. It was a, like there was, I mean, you know, Baz Luhrmann did the, I think Baz Luhrmann only did the first episode or maybe did the whole thing, but it was a bit too Baz Luhrmann for was me. Was it Jaden Smith that killed it for you? Cause I know that did that for a couple of my friends. No, just the, just the theatrics, the theatrics of it all. Yeah. I wanted it to be a bit dirtier, but it was never going to be dirtier. And that's more me than, you know, that's, that's me being an idiot than the show being bad. I think it was just like, it was interesting because I think they had a lot of real factual stuff in there and, you know, hearing about Grandmaster Flash and how all that began and, you know, like I had no idea. So I think that was where the biggest part of the interest came for me. Like I thought visually it was well done. I thought it was interesting, like for the history in, in time, like in the Bronx in New York, I had no idea, you know, that 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 part of New York basically turned into a third world country. Yeah. You know, like that's crazy to think about. Right. And, uh, yeah, and, it, and it's not like it wasn't, it, it's not like it was a hundred and something years ago. No, no, this like, is not that, not that long ago. Yeah. We were alive when it was happening. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was interesting for those reasons. And the music I thought was pretty cool too. You know, like learning how scratching began and things like that. Yeah, um, that was yeah, I'll pay that. That was pretty cool. I was yeah. thought I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, I'd say it was short lived uh on the front end and you know, now it, it uh it lives within my iPod. Uh, you know, there's there's things in there uh that exist uh today. Did you watch the the his- oh, I can't remember what it was called, but the actual history of hip hop that Netflix did yeah. as well? Well, that was on HBO. Is that right? The history of hip hop. We got it on Netflix down here. Oh, okay. It was just just the four parts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did watch it, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Like, you know, I had no idea that Ice-T was, like, the guy who basically created gangster rap, and he was kind of copying some dude out of D.C., right? And, like, admittedly... 
and you know like went back and thanked this guy for it um but yeah like there were a lot of interesting things in there yeah i think it's a really interesting the thing i or the the thing i took most away out of it was that like at that time when hip-hop was kind of exploding that the punks had this like real reverence for what they were doing and it kind of went yeah. both ways you know because yeah. they were both trying to shut disco the fuck down and uh you know i just thought that was really cool and their ideals were their ideals weren't too far apart either yeah exactly like you know what they were what they were striving for right and everything was like yeah. diy culture and um yeah i thought that was really cool you know so all right so you're into punk rock but you said you're you started kind of inviting hip-hop back when you're in your kind of 20s and stuff yeah i'd say like um, mid-20s you, yeah are you still in you're still in calgary you, ne- you never left there and then came back no i just traveled so uh you know i i went and lived in australia for almost a year was uh, there anything was there anything significant when you came to australia did you meet anyone interesting uh yeah, I mean, I yeah. I mean, meeting you guys was yeah. was cr- <laughs> I, and not just because I'm talking to you, but like, I mean, meeting you guys was was such a cool, uh, surreal experience. I think, and you know, an experience that I wasn't expecting either, because you know, I basically got invited into the friends I had back home on the other side of the world. And, you know, getting to go to shows with people, like I probably wouldn't have gone to shows with people I was staying at the hostels with. Right. And, you know, getting to come to your shows and getting, you know, to sing on stage. And like, I think I, I think for a time there, I was almost like ballparks mascot for a little while, you know, the, Absolutely you were. You the were Canadian like a giant. Slash, yeah. Hype man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So I'm going to, I'm going to quickly tell the story from my angle. And yeah, I told I'd love my, to hear your angle. Um, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put this to rest, like the whole story, because I fucking love telling it. But now it's gonna be documented, so if anyone needs to hear it, I'll just point them to this. Um, I was in a band with a couple of good friends called Ballpark. In band starting like '98 or so, '97, '98. Um, we just recorded our first demo. There was there was internet, but it was fucking horrible, and. I, but I was kind of, I wouldn't say tech savvy, but I was, I was an internet kid when there weren't, when it was still shunned. Like when people were like, what the fuck, like your internet, what the fuck are you doing on that? Like, isn't that, I don't know. People didn't get it. Anyhow. So I was like, I'm going to send like a bunch of record labels all throughout the world an email saying, Hey, we just did a demo. If you'd like a copy, blah, blah, blah. Because that's that's all I knew to do. Like, I didn't have a clue. And it's not like I went to Fat Records and said, hey, we have a demo. I just found some independent labels from all across the world. A couple of days later, get an email back from someone at Corrupt Records in Canada saying, um, yeah, one of, our, one of our label owners is coming over. And I'm sure I use the term label owners. Um, is coming. And so, to me, that was like, okay, this is a dude. All right. Um, is coming into Australia. Had no idea what you were coming out for, so I thought you were like scouting new talent or something. Um, well, that's kind of how over. we were trying to portray Sorry, it. That's how we were kind of trying to portray it, mate. You had this. You had this seventeen-year-old kid fooled. That's a, like it worked on me. <laughs> so I, I get, they say, "Give us your phone number. We'll get we'll get him to give you a call." So I get, I sent a, I sent my phone number off, which was a landline because no one had. Well, mobiles were barely a thing back then. Um, like probably one in 20 people had them. Like it was definitely not popular. And 
one Wednesday night I get a phone call. So I'm at high school. One Wednesday night I get a phone call from this Canadian guy saying, "Hey, I've just landed. I got your email address. I work for Corrupt Records. I got your phone number. I work for Corrupt Records." Do you want to come and hang out in King's Cross? <laughs> now, for those who don't know King's Cross, watch watch any Australian um, 80s style TV cop, not cop show, but like um, crime crime show. Watch any crime show and get your head around King's Cross. It's, it's backpackers like Nate and junkies and drug dealers and strip clubs and all the things that a 17-year-old boy from the suburbs has... No idea what he's getting into. And I said, look, thanks for the invite. It's a Wednesday night and I actually have school in the morning. And so I can't make it in. And this isn't going to happen. But we organized to... I took a day off school now. We I call it jigged. But you guys caught maybe hockey? Hooky? Hockey. Yeah, call it, not, you don't call it hockey. Obviously oh, don't hooky. Call it hockey. Hooky. Hooky. Yeah, yeah, hooky. So, yeah. So I took, I, I took a day off school with two friends. And I said to my two friends, we're going into the cross. And they're like, what the fuck are we doing? And I said, I'm going to meet this guy from this record label from Canada. He's going to be wearing a bad religion shirt. That's how we're going to know it's him. And all they heard was cross and then record label. And they're like, of course we're going. Like, of course we're coming in. And then that sparked a friendship that's gone for, look, I'm going to say it's just shy of 20 years. Would yeah. You agree? When, were you at, when was your first trip out here? Was it 99 uh, was or 98? 98. Yeah. So I would years. have been... No, eight. 19 years. Yeah. Yeah. 18, 19 years now. Yeah. Yeah. And we we saw Rancid together and the, that was the last time Rancid came out. Right. Right. So that's kind of epic and monumental as well. Yeah. That was epic and monumental. I don't know if I had anything to do with that, but... You can claim it. Like, I'll let you claim it. Okay. Tim Armstrong's not going to okay. rebuke you. Like... <laughs> So now so, all the Australian punk rockers, they can they can put a, their their feeling of hate and direct it straight straight towards me, straight towards you. Yeah. There was actually someone brought up the fact that like every, every time Rancid bring out something that says exclusive Australian merch, all these people get online and yeah, start blasting them, and they're like, "Sorry, I saw that. That was pretty hilarious. Like that yeah. they would even have the balls to do that in the first place. Yeah, they." They blast them and say, bring the fucking merch out here yourself. We'll we'll buy it when we see you play. Yeah. That's just Australia, mate. Fucking Australia. So I'm dying to hear the end of this story. Like when you guys show up and you meet me and... and so I remember the I remember the t-shirt. I was the only thing about the other day. I remember the Bad Religion t-shirt. I think... Uh, I, I want to say it's, it well, probably wasn't American Jesus, but it had Uncle Sam, but he was a skeleton. Do you remember the shirt? See, I was going to say it had like just bad religion on the front with like this filigree kind of around the, the, the band name and then like this postage stamp on the back. But I could be wrong. The postage stamp seems familiar. But yeah. Yeah, it was definitely a bad religion shirt. Yeah. So we went and hung out and then... In the Hungry Jacks. Yeah, that, in a Hungry Jacks, which was next to where all the drug deals went down with us near a set of payphones. I feel like I have to put this out there that that this I had no idea. Like I had nothing. I had no idea of Australia when I went there. Like it wasn't like a place that people went to when I finished high school. And that's why I wanted to go there because I just 
I knew nothing about it. It was on the other side of the world. And I'm like, well, I can't get much further away from home than this. And it just sounded like a cool place. And then when I started looking at, you know, like where I was going to stay when I got to Sydney, you know, like you, uh, at that time, I just thought, well, think central, right? Like, you know, in the city I live in, you would want to be central. And King's Cross came up and I had no idea about what that place was all about. And then, you know, when I got there, I was like, oh, this is a little different. And then when you start hearing people talk about it and you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's like the worst place in Sydney that I chose to live in and bring under, underage, uh, underage kids to you. Groom, yeah, groom underage kids to make them take time <laughs> off school. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's questionable activities. But that's all, like, yeah, it was, it, look, it's turned out for the better. It has. It's who would have thought? Fantastic. Yeah, who would have thought indeed. Uh, and I still remember the time when I'm sure my girlfriend at the time, like, hung around that extra bit longer because I introduced her to this guy from Canada who owned a record label. And she's like, wait, if... Ballpark are getting signed. Maybe I should hang around. And then when she realized the, the truth about it all, and this, the scope of the scope of the activity, she went, nah, fuck it. I'm out. So she left. <laughs> so it bought me a bit of time, but not that much. So yeah, welcome. That's, that's the story. We can, we can, I'm glad that's out there. And if anyone ever asks, we can point them to this podcast. This is how we found each other. Exactly. Exactly. So, and friends forever yeah, after that. Indeed. Absolutely. Okay. So, you're in Australia. Yes. You're out here. Um, you're still listening to punk rock and stuff. You, but you still grew up in, you know, you're still, you're still living in Calgary. Um, what are you, what's happening musically in Calgary? Like, are there many bands coming through? Are there many local bands? Oh yeah. I are mean, you, are you still at home? Like yeah, when so, you came down to Australia, we still living at home? Yeah. So I, like I just finished high school. Uh, like that summer, that June or whatever. And then, you know, it was like the summer to end all summers before I left. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we were going to shows, you know, kind of all the time from about the time we were 16, you know, till, I mean, we still go to shows now, but we were, we were going hard to shows then. And by that point too, like my band was, we were playing, you know, a fair bit as well. And we, we own the record label. So, you know, Mike, was doing a lot of, uh, he was putting on shows and stuff at the same time. So, um, I think like right around that time, our band had like, you know, the biggest show that we ever had, which was at the Republic, which was at the time, like kind of the CBGBs of Calgary, like nowhere near CBGBs. Like, let me, let me put that disclaimer, but you know, like that's, (laughs) it was like the, the punk rock bar in Calgary. Uh, you know, it's, it's first time around kind of thing. And, uh, Mike, kept going to this record store that was putting on this show for Buck 09 and the suicide machines were coming through town. And, uh, the, the guys that usually opened up those shows, um, they were on the road touring. So Mike just kept hounding this dude and being like, you know, can you put these guys on the bill, put these guys on the bill. And finally he put us on the bill. So that was like, that was the pinnacle for, for me you know, in that time, uh, was opening for those two bands. And yeah, so we're, we're going to shows a fair bit, you know, like I would say as much as you guys were like in Australia and, uh, yeah, I mean, punk so, was, so this is for Johnny Unitas. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny, Unitas. Johnny Unitas at the time? yeah, yeah, yeah. So right around that time, uh, I think like just before I left, 
we had broken up with our guitar player uh, who had been with us since the beginning. We were just a three-piece. And then we kind of exploded into a four-piece. And, uh, you know, the dynamics and everything changed a little bit. And we started writing a little bit different stuff. I ended up writing a fair bit, you know, on that trip to Australia and brought home a bunch of songs. And that's kind of when we, when we went, you know... W- a little bit harder and, and did a little bit more. Um, and then ultimately, you know, broke up a couple years later, but yeah, I just kind of put the band on hold while I was away. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean like uh, punk was life at that point for sure. What's the next track you're going to pick? Um, you know, like we had been talking about this whole rancid fiasco for a while and, you know, I looked up, uh, you know, what, what records came out when I was 18 and the one that stood out was uh, "Life Won't Wait" uh, by Rancid. And, this is uh, this is going to sound controversial. Yes, and I fucking I'll go to my grave saying this. <laughs> it is. I'm not saying it's a better album. Yes, but it is my favorite Rancid album. And it, we've had this discussion as well. And it I, many a times. It is yep. not my favorite, and Outcome the Wolves will always be my favorite. But I think yep. this has moved into top. This has moved into second spot. It's taken over Let's Go. And Let's Go is one of those nostalgic albums because that was like the third punk rock album I bought. And so, you know, that's why that one has... And it's got a lot of banger songs on it. But that one has a a bigger nostalgic place for me. But, uh, yeah, this song... Because that's what they toured on. That was the album they toured on to Australia. Was uh, Life Won't Wait, yeah. Life Won't Wait, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that show was amazing. I still have that drumstick from brett reed that's un- that's unreal and i think i still might have the picture of i think it was me and dan like your your australian mag punk rock magazine had yeah. like a picture of a bunch of dudes with mohawks out front and me and dan were just just kind of off in the background dude i need to see you need to scan this photo <laughs> or something get okay. it that's fucking unreal i'll have a look for it <laughs> that's fantastic so the so song i picked life won't What's that? Yeah, before you go on, life, let's talk about Life Won't Wait. Yeah. It's fucking eclectic. It's oh, so no, no, good. Probably, is eclectic the right word? It's diverse would be a better word. Yeah. Yeah, I like, would say that. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of... The, the, the ska was, you know, kind of a lot cleaner. It had a much different vibe than the ska that they had done prior to that. Yeah. Um, I would say, and I would say like the, the hard hitting songs were, were really hard hitting, like with kind of more like of a, I don't know, like almost anthemic a little bit, you know? Yep. So did you not, I know, I know you've got, um, this isn't your favorite topic to bring up, but did you listen, you listened to the Lars Fredrickson episode of Turned Out a Punk? I did. Yes. I listened to both. Yeah. And all this, I think it was the second one. I think it was the second one where he mentions that they write a song and then do it in a bunch of different styles to see yes. which one works. Yes. Which is fucking mind blowing. Like it if is. they just released if they released those, I'd I'd fucking I'd I'd lose it. I'd melt down. <laughs> like because yeah, there's so many cool songs and there's so many diverse songs on that album. And Absolutely. just they could just do, release that album four different ways with four different versions of each song. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so what did you pick? I'm keen to hear this. Well, you know, like, so I thought about picking the song that was my favorite from the time, uh, which was Hooligans. I fucking love that song. Um, But as I've listened to that album and gotten older with that album, uh, I decided to go with the song that 
that sticks with me even more so now, uh, which is Blood Clot. fucking love this album oh it's 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 definitely um i i like it more and more with age i think this was the end of rancid really like not to oh dude not to be a dink but like this was you know so uh what's uh indestructible's okay you know there's some good songs on it but it's just okay um the latest one is I think the only reason people were saying it was good was because the ones previous to that had been not that great. I know you love the self-titled and I've listened to it again Dude. after and I just, I can't get it. I don't get it. Dude, it's so fucking good. Oh, <laughs> God damn. Like, I, I understand. I just, I understand why people wouldn't like the self-titled because it's, I remember when it came out, um, the, when it came out to hype the album they had all the they sent they must have sent the album obviously to a bunch of friends who play in bands and stuff and um 
everyone was like, oh, it's a return to form. And yeah, return to form and um, rants that have come full circle. And I was like, oh, okay, so there's not going to be any scar on it. Like, it's not going to be... It's going to be a dirty punk rock album. Right. And I, to me, that's what it is. Like, I, I can't think of any scar songs. It's an aggressive... It's an aggressive, straight-up punk rock album. But to me, Fuck. it's, like, aggressive in an unlistenable way. Like, it's just... Okay. I don't know. Like, I just don't think that their music fits that style. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll pay that. I'll wear that. That's fair enough. Yeah, it's, no, I just... And, and for the longest time, I didn't. For the longest time, I just overlooked it because I was like, "Life on Road is so fucking good." Yeah, that was just like, "Oh, they got a new album." I mean, I'll listen to it, but I'm not. It does. It's yeah. It hasn't grabbed me. Yeah. But yeah, I went back to it and I was like, "Yeah, no, this is fantastic." Yeah. So what else? We like you were diver- you were listening to more. Well, you were diversifying because you were kind of eyes what more wide open. What else was happening musically that you remember? Like at that time, like kind of eighteen. Yeah. Uh, well, you, yeah. When you first kind of leave home and leave the coop, leave yeah. the coop. No, leave the nest. Yeah, leave the nest. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, thinking back on it, like, you know, to be on the opposite side of the world with nobody, uh, for a year. You know, it was it was kind of crazy. Um, but again, like. You know, uh, I heard you guys introduced me to a whole bunch of new bands I would have never heard of. And some of those bands I still listen to, like we had Frenzel here, you know, like Frenzel was a name that people knew here. But, you know, Toe to Toe was a a band I'd never heard of. Uh, H-Block 101, I still throw their albums on every once in a while. Okay. Um, I really like them. I think they opened that Rancid show and I I bought their their CD. Yeah. from them there uh you know like one dollar shorts something that uh i will still listen to every once in a while just because it's like it's such good memories from i think that was probably the second time that i was there but um yeah so i mean you guys uh totally you know opened my eyes to a bunch of new music and i I don't i wasn't really into hardcore at that time and i i'd say that you guys kind of brought me into into that and then moving on you know from there i came home and you know the band kind of got back together and we played for a couple more years and <clears throat> i mean that 18 you know to 24 was probably like the the epi fat days for me um you know and then uh yeah i don't want to jump too far ahead but uh you know i think probably around like 25, 26 is, you know, when I started to, to branch out even more to, you know, like, I think, I think punk rock really changed. I don't know if it changed or if I just opened my eyes more to what was going on. Um, but it just, and, and maybe it was the internet too. I mean, that's something that Mike and I have talked a lot about on our podcast is just, you know, the, the way that the internet changed, changed the face of music and I think for punk rock in a, in a really beneficial way, um, you know, it just, it gave so many bands the accessibility and, uh, ability for distribution. Um, you know, it, I listen to more music now than I can, than I can handle. Um, and so yeah, that, that's one thing when I listen to the podcast, every fucking episode, I just go, I don't know how you guys find the time to listen to more, like new music. And I, it's a passion that I wish I had. Yeah. Like I just yeah I, and my the, the way I listen to new music now, it's not necessarily new as in brand new, but 
like hear new bands that I've never heard of before is solely based on your podcast. Oh, well, that's cool. I like that. I yeah. mean, Mike brings, I would say, you know, 85 to 90% of the new music because that guy is just like, he's, I'm one of those people that like, I hate researching things on the internet. Cause I just feel like there's too much and you can just, yeah. you can find a reason for yes, or you can find a reason for no, or you can, oh, you can, you can get, um, confirmation bias for whatever yeah, you're looking for. Yeah. It just does your head in. Right. And with, you know, I think Mike's one of those people that really digs look like looking for that stuff. And he'll go into like these band camp wormholes that, yeah you know, look, look terrifying. It looks like he's, he's, you know, hopped into the matrix for, for a period of time. Um, but he, he often comes out with some, some really cool stuff. And then, you know, like it's, it's still in the same way. It's just not, you know, you're not reading the liner notes, you're reading a band's webpage or, you know, something like that where, or, you know, uh, the iTunes reference where, Hey, listeners also like this. Yeah. Also purchase you know? this or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've turned on to two or three more new bands. Right. So yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the accessibility is just, is so, so huge now. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's almost over. No, I'd say it's, it is overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, like not in a bad way, right? Like, you know, there's no, a lot worse no. things in the world than having too much music yeah, too to much. listen to. Yeah. Too much music to listen to. <laughs> yeah. No, I can yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that one. Yeah. Um, so where are we at now? Tell us, let's talk about the podcast. What was, I mean, not Mike talked about it a bit, so, but that's not to stop you from going as heavy or as deep as you want. Um, the, the uh, influence was pretty obvious being high fidelity. Yeah. But what made you want to do a podcast? I think like, um, I mean, it was really Mike's idea where I think he was listening to podcasts a lot more. And I think there's a lot of really shitty podcasts out there. And I don't just mean like in terms of content, I think there's a lot of ones that have decent enough content, but um, like they're just, they're recorded like shit, you know? And, uh, you know, so when Mike said, you know, what do you think about doing this? And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I think if we could just make it like the quality have, you know, it be good enough quality that we could garner listeners. And, um, you know, like when I was, when I was a kid, um, I always loved the idea of being on the radio. And, uh, so like, I remember being, you know, probably 10, 11, 12 and a buddy of mine and I, we would like you know, taken apart a couple cassette players and, and things like that and made, basically made our own like Frankenstein radio console in my bedroom. And we would like record these radio shows to tape. And uh, I mean, they're fucking hilarious. I I don't have them anymore, but they were fucking hilarious to listen back because our voices hadn't even quite dropped yet. Um, This is like listening to Alvin and Simon, you know, doing a, doing a radio show. But, um, yeah, it was, that was always something I was really interested in. And, you know, I, I took broadcasting, um, in, in college and that's where I wanted to go. And my first job was, uh, was at a country music station working the, the midnight to six shift. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, there was, there was a moment, there were lots of moments where it was cool, you know, to like, 
you know, I was doing sports and weather every half hour and then just, you know, pressing the button. Cause at that time their catalog was already put into computers. You weren't like even, you know, flipping decks or anything like that. Right. And so, um, but it just, and I've never been interested in a job just cause it pays well, but this just paid like such shit. Right. And, uh, so that's what made me go back into TV and radio just kind of seemed like that closed door to me. So, you know, with the advent of podcasts and it's like, make your own radio show. I mean, that just appealed to me straight away. And, you know, like Mike said, we, we talk about music. I would say him and I more than I talk to anybody else about music. And so it just kind of made sense. Like, you know, if we could turn some people on to, you know, a little bit more, uh, that's, that's out there and just kind of like be that filter for people. Cause that's what yeah. I need. Like I need a fucking filter and Mike is often that filter for me. So, uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be like a cool way to, to get out there and just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like I say, become that filter for, for people, uh, interested in the genre of music. That's, that's unreal because it, it, again, it, like I try to spruik it as much as I can whenever someone asks me about podcasts, but I think, yeah, it's just, Mike does that fantastic job where it's, I don't have to sit through a bunch of shit. I mean, not not that everything he picks is fantastic, but because right. it's all subjective. But yeah, like <laughs> if my if my puts it on or mentions it at the start, then you go, oh, that's that's worth checking out. Yeah, like one of the big ones was um, swimmers. Oh like, yeah, yeah. I totally. remember hearing that and going, holy fuck, this band's fantastic. Yeah, but would never have crossed their path because would never have would never have even contemplated looking into new bands or like it just wouldn't have hit my radar. Totally. Yeah. And like, that's like, like that band comes from a brand new genre of kind of California punk rock, right? Like, yeah, that whole, yeah, that band is, is crazy. And, uh, you know, it was, it was weird seeing them like when they toured through Calgary, like they had driven all the way from Oakland, all the way to Calgary, which is, you know, like that's like 26 hours. Yeah. Cause they started their tour in Calgary and then they were working their way back home. So they just, they busted all the way to the end and then drove all the way back on tour, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like these are like 18, 19 year old kids, right? Like, you know, it was just, it was kind of crazy in that way. Like of, you know, seeing these like from, from our age at that time of being, you know, 18 and 19 and these kids have kind of, you know, hit it. Right. And now we're the 30 late 30 year old guys going to their shows yeah yeah just and they're killing it yeah yeah no they're it's actually exciting like legitimately exciting totally well because i think the other thing that it proves is that there is a generation after us because it's for a long time it's felt like there wasn't like this was it like you know when the no effects die off and the bad religions die off and you know uh when, when that starts to happen that there is nobody to kind of pass that torch to. To pass right? the torch to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's good to see that that, that exists. So is there anything you want to... Sp- obviously, you've got... Um, actually, no, I've got a question. I've got one additional question for you. But yeah. before we pick the last song, because in the in the vein of High Fives podcasts... Yes. Um, picking top five lists. Yeah. And this is going to go down in infamy, so you better get it right. Oh, fuck. What are, because it's documented and you can't change it after this. <laughs> top five. In no, I'll give you the leniency of No Water. You just need to pick the top five best songs 
on Outcome of the Wolves. Go. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. Top five best songs on an Outcome Because of they're Wolves. all, like, all 19 of them are just, you could pick any of the 19. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say Olympia, five. Washington, uh, yep. Time Bomb, uh, uh, like Maxwell, like has a special spot in my heart because I'm a bass player. You know, as and, am I. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, as a song, and you've I, got with Maxwell's murder. You've got to think, in my opinion, it's got to be one of as punk rock goes. It's got to be one of the best track one side ones recorded. Yeah, like, it's only gotta, maybe it's, knocked out by Linoleum. It's certainly up there. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe it was because it just felt like kind of a throwaway song because it's like a minute long or whatever. You know, like it's not very long. It just kind of felt like an intro track, and I almost always write off the intro track. Um, I gotta say, Junkie Man, because that's just such a different song, and I remember being blown away hearing Jim Carroll's voice in there because it came out right around the same time Basketball Diaries came out. And, you know, I kind of went through a big thing with that. So I've got to put that on the list. Um, I think, ah, see, I think you got to pick between Roots and Radicals and Ruby Soho. And okay. I think I take Roots and Radicals over Ruby Soho. So would I. And my last pick, oh, man, uh, Journey, I think, is the last pick. Again, great strong bass playing song. Yeah, like not technical. No, just, but that line is super catchy, yeah. right? Like that line will get stuck in my head. Old friend has got to be right up there too. I love that song too. Yep. No, cool. That's unreal. There's your top five. Okay, so what song are we going to go for? What kind of sums up where Nate Lewitt is right now? Yeah, man. Whether like it be this, this whether it be something that's new or something that's kind of you've only just rediscovered or something that you kind of. Yeah, that you've only just discovered, but it came out a while ago. What do we got? I think this was like the hardest category to fill. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like kind of defining yourself by uh, a song just feels kind of overwhelming. Um, yeah. I'd say like I've I've progressed to kind of uh, like I, I have a very large um, variety of music that I listen to now, um, which is not something that like that's just something that's come with with age and being more open and things like that. Um, like yep. I have rediscovered things in the last couple of years. Like Siamese dream is probably one of my top five albums ever written. I just, wow. I That's absolutely unreal. love that record. So, 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 so much. Um, but I wouldn't say it kind of defines the music I listen to now. Um, yeah, I have gone back a little bit, like, you know, listening to you and Mike's conversation, you know, and, and listening to some of that, uh, that older stuff, like, you know, Pearl Jam, uh, listening to verses and Vitology. I still can't really get into that, that time in between. Um, yeah. And even to now, like, it's just, it's kind of lost for me, but I'd say like the majority of the music I listen to now, at least within the punk rock vein, um, I really like love Ramones core. Uh, so like bands like Teenage Bottle Rocket, Masked Intruder, The New Rochelles, you know, I, I mean, it's hooky. It's fucking Beach Boys right there, right? Yeah. Um, Beach Boys on speed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that stuff speaks to me, you know, cause it's, it's part of musically who I am, I would say. Um, and then I would say like, the other part of punk that I've kind of, you know, gone to, I'm a little 
a little too soft in my older age to, you know, listen to much hardcore. It has a special place for special days, but you know, it's, it's not my go-to anymore. Um, and you know, the Yepi fat though, I listen to a lot of it. Um, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that that is any longer my, my genre of choice. Um, I okay. think I, I listen more to the, like the mid tempo, kind of punk rock um so yep. you know like bands like uh modern baseball or um you know uh the menzingers or moose blood um you yep. know bands kind of in that genre which i think is kind of an evolution of like get up kids era yeah i'd agree with you there so um, is this before we go on is this org core <laughs> I, I, still don't, I still don't understand org core really but yeah i think mike would probably define it as org core yeah it's it's not even worth trying to describe what org core <laughs> is because i think we're both not 100 percent with it but if you are interested join the uh high fives chat yeah mike is mike, very hip mike to mike all these labels yeah yeah <laughs> which blew my mind like i i kind of got it yeah. I was like, I can't believe it's a thing. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. I would classify, like, if that's what the classification is, yeah, that's probably where a lot of the music I listen to these days uh, kind of stems from, is is that yep. that genre, for sure. I mean, um, I think it just appeals to me more in terms of, you know, where I'm at in life and... and uh, you know the 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 lyrics that are that are associated with it, and uh, and just that mid tempo is easy to listen to, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So what do we go with? So again, like this was like one of those things. Like, how do you define it? Um, and one, yeah, I, I'm calling it right now. Uh, and I, we we have discussed this on the on the WhatsApp chat. Um, Menzingers. Uh, after the party is going to be on my top five list by the end of this year. It is that good of a record. And uh, so I chose a a song from their new, that new record uh, called Midwest. Which was only released like a week ago, wasn't it? Yeah. It was released really, uh, yeah, about a week ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And uh, the song is called Midwestern States. And that song stuck out to me um, because I think, uh, and again, like how I was talking about like lyrics kind of speaking to your age, um, yep. you know, I, I, they kind of have that, that vibe of like that mid midlife crisis, you know, and kind of evaluating life at, at yep. this time. And, and I think, you know, in the last couple of years, I've had a lot of big things happen. Um, yep. and so I guess I just, I, I find it easy to identify with, with that that's that kind of genre of music. And then, you know, this band continues to blow me away every time. And they're one of those bands that I feel like I can go back and revisit an old album and hear brand new things that I either wasn't open to or just didn't hear the last time around. And as you finish that, I'll say, I still don't get it. (laughs) You need a couple more years, Joel. No, I know. I think I do. And I'm going to look back at this podcast in maybe six months' time or two years' time because they're out in Australia at the moment. I think they played yeah. in Sydney last night. Yeah, and you didn't go. And, no, fuck no. <laughs> like, it just... I have no interest. And they, they came out with Pennywise a few years ago and I just went, oh, who's that? Uh, some Epitaph band, but that doesn't sound like Pennywise, so whatever. Yeah. Like, 
but I'm sure I know, like I know deep down that one day I'm going to look back and go, you're a fucking goose. Why didn't you jump on this earlier? <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I do think there is a distinction, like just from where we like, like location wise, I yep. think there's, you know, people just um, like, I, I feel like the stuff that you guys in Australia listen to, and maybe it's specific to your group of friends I mean, I kind of, you know, generalize every, you know, Australian I know as being, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the people that represent Australia in terms of music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is understandable. It's an understandable thing to do. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, I, I think maybe just location, you know, uh, like geographically, maybe that speaks to the type of music you listen to as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. But then, like people around here still love them. Like, yeah. like they still, they, I mean, in, in Melbourne, they had, they played two shows and sold them both out. Right. And they would sell so, them out here in a heartbeat too. Like yeah. people, people absolutely love that band. And I love that band too. I think, I don't know, maybe it's the earnestness in the music too. And you hear like there's, it's genuine. I just want all bands to sound like the loved ones. If they're going to come out, like that's, I think that's what my problem is at the moment. If they're a new band and they're like, oh, we have punk influences or whatever, you know, I come from a punk rock background. I just go, okay, well just, how about you just write down that sounds like keep your heart by the loved ones and I'll be happy and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And then it's not. And I'm really disappointed. And again, that's more me than anything else. I do enjoy the loved ones as well. Fantastic band. Yes. Cool. So what's the song again by The Messengers? Uh, it's uh, Midwestern States. Midwestern States. On, what was the album called? Uh, After the Party. Unreal. And it's the brand new one. I'm calling it right now. Top five. To, oh, look. You'll just have to, if worst case scenario, you just have to do a top five. I mean, well, you'll do a top five and Michael do a top 72. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Of 2017. <laughs> and it'll make it on that. <laughs> Every album that came out will make on make it onto Mike's list. Yeah, literally, literally. <laughs> like, did Mike listen? To, like, was it a new album? Yes. Did Mike listen to it? Yes. Then it will appear on his list. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Go. Nate Lewitt, thank you for spending the time. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. This is a lot of fun, and uh, it was nice to take a little trip down memory lane too. Indeed, High Fives Podcasts. Um, you should hit me up or hit Nate up and join the chat. We've already got. We've already lured in another Australian who you've never met before, in Simon Walker, who's a fantastic dude, and hopefully I'm going to start a podcast with him soon. So, yeah, it's unreal. Um, Mixcloud.com/slash High Fives Podcast and High Fives Podcast.com. Are they both right? Uh, yeah, High Fives.ca. That's our website. Oh, sorry, not .com.ca. Yeah, yeah, cool. But I'll put I'll put a bunch of links up, and we can go from there. Excellent. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this podcast, uh, like listening to it and uh, and being on it. And Joel, please keep. I mean, we knew we made it when uh, when you started doing a response podcast about our podcast, and that, that which truly... I can also post links for as well because you know that's like okay. I know I said we're going to end it now, but I've just got to get this out. <laughs> Nate and might do their high fives podcast and I was a slow adapter to it because I didn't know how to use Mixcloud because whatever and then last year like so I picked it up early last year so I listened to it 
catching up on older episodes because they're, again they're all fantastic it doesn't matter how far back you go they're all fantastic <laughs> and then when the new ones started coming out like I, myself and Dan Wexler started writing in the we'd go back and write the list of our top five you know um, f- fat records releases or epitaph or whatever the subject was and then one day a new episode came out and I went I've got a spare 20 minutes. I'm going to sit down. I've got my list. I'm going to sit down and do a podcast in response and talk shit. And it was, it's fantastic. And I still aim to do it at every single podcast that you do. It is. My time's a lot more limited at the moment. So, but, um, yeah, yeah, fair enough. It's unreal. It is the most flattering thing anyone's done for the High Fives podcast and probably one of the most flattering things anyone's done for me in my life. So thank you, Joel. Not a problem. Never an issue, sir. Hugs and kisses. Indeed. And we'll speak soon. Okay, that sounds good. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for listening.
Nate from the Hi-Fi podcast. So they're actually actually up to episode 26 uh, by the time this aired. So I'm not sure what we said in the episode because it was recorded a while back. Um, and if you're interested, I actually do. I've been doing a few reply podcasts. So they make a top they make a hi-fi a top five playlist on a particular topic, which I'm sure we discussed in the episode. Um, and then I go ahead and film a response podcast like a reply letter to their podcast and mixing song, mixing in songs and all that kind of jazz um, so just for a bit of fun just for a laugh uh, you can find them at speakscloud.com slash high five podcast that's h-o-g-h-f-i-v-e podcast and I'm sure a whole bunch of other places that you can find on my website or Facebook or whatever um, again I really appreciate you listening to this um, I appreciate Nicole for giving me the chance to do this for a couple of hours a month um, while she looks after Cody, who is about to turn, well, depending on when you listen to this, when the episode comes out, he's just shy of six months, and he's just found his screaming voice, which is funny and painful at the same time, because it's fucking loud, like really loud, but it's all fun and games. Um. Yeah. So enjoy. Oh, next week's episode. Next month's episode. Sorry. Um, I'm really, really excited about. Like, I'm excited about talking to everybody. And I'm excited to get everybody's story out there. But next week's was. If, if I was to do a list, if I was to do an episode on myself, um, next week's next month's episode would be. This band changed my life in a in a massive way where you know I was kind of cruising on the pop punk highway going one way and then this band uh, came along and just fucking broke down everything I thought I knew which wasn't much granted but it kind of changed my perspective on music in every aspect like live and playing it and writing songs and all that kind of shit um, the band is Avail, and the person I speak to next month is Bo Butler, uh, Avail's dancer and hype man and cheerleader and just all around fucking good guy. Have a cracking chat with him, um, but until then, stay safe, stay not too safe, just don't hurt yourself. And we'll do all next month. Kill. Old black Joe still picking cotton for your ribbons and bows. And everybody knows. And everybody knows that the plague is coming. Everybody knows that it's moving fast. Everybody knows. Fact of the past. Everybody knows the scene is dead, but there's gonna be a meter on your bed that will disclose what everybody knows. And everybody knows that you're in trouble. Everybody knows what you've been.
through From the bloody cross on top of Calvary To the beach of Malibu Everybody knows it's coming apart Take one last look at this sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows. Everybody knows.